0: hey this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we're preaching
0: and we ran we didn't walk the I just rain. want that noted for the record. <laughs> so what is astonishing you?
1: Well, we have um, elected and trained uh, a group of new elders that I'm really excited about. We met with them last night and they, um, they all wrote statements of faith. There's three of them. And uh, we do a short examination. We use that word examination, but it's really an opportunity to share faith and uh, to give testimonies. And some of their testimonies are just so powerful. Um, And and one particular new elder coming on, you know, I've known for a while, but she shared a part of her life that no one knew Mm -hmm. that she had been, um, uh, her, her parents Um, alcoholic, um, mental health issues, and then was in a very abusive marriage for a while. And, um, she's talked about how God carried her through and brought her through and how her faith was so strong. And, um, we were all astonished by her, her perseverance, her courage, her strength, and, um, You would think that in the church, you would hear those kinds of testimonies Mm -hmm. often, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but it's very easy to get to a place where, you know, you commute in from different parts of the city, Mm -hmm. you do the programmatic things, Mm -hmm. and then everyone goes home, Mm -hmm. right? You might share coffee and donuts, talk about the weather, the latest in politics or sports or whatever, um, go to your discipleship classes. But to have those moments where people really share their lives and open up and talk about what God is doing in their lives and what God has done in their lives, it just has a way of of, of building everyone's faith. And Mm -hmm. I I paused the meeting um, to say to everyone in the room, to say to our board and these new elders, do you guys feel? feel that something has shifted in the room. And it was a really special time last night. And I'm so excited to uh, work with these um, three new elders. This is the first time, I think, in my 20-plus years of ministry that I am both ordaining and, and installing, installing yeah. a group of elders. And um, they are coming. None of, they're, they're all coming without an agenda mm-hmm. uh, the board asked them um, you know several questions about the duties of their office and why they wanted to be elders and one by one they said I have been called mm-hmm. to serve this congregation by discerning the will of God mm-hmm. for our life together yeah
0: I think it's so important what you've said and um, I don't There are a lot of indicators of church health that are very common that you look at, sort of, worship attendance and baptisms and members joining, and those are all um, really legitimate things Mm -hmm. to note. Um, And um, one thing in our Presbyterian system that people should look at, because I think it's a canary in the coal mine, is how often when you and um, when you install a new set of a new class of elders, that's mm-hmm. the lingo we use. So it, our, our folks, if you're not a Presbyterian, um, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, in our leadership structure, um, members of the congregation lead alongside the pastor. And everyone who is elected to that leadership position, which is called an elder, um, you don't have to be old, but you need to be spiritually mature, um, you would serve in this leadership position for three years. And so then it, the the group of people who are leading is the pastor and the elders. Together they make the session and the classes are staggered. So you know, the whole board doesn't turn over every three years, but a set of people, a class of leaders end their terms every year and a new group of people comes on every year. And that provides continuity, but also new, new life and, um, you know, it has been um, probably seven years since I have just installed and not also ordained elders. Now, we shrunk the size of our session. So, if we had a bigger session, I'm sure we would be calling some people back up. But I think if you serve in a church where the people in leadership and primary leadership um, capacity, are are cycling through and it's the same cycle of people and there are no new folks in the tradition um, that are being invited to leadership or no new people that the, that the body will... Because these elders, I should say, are not chosen by the pastor. They're chosen by the congregation. And so right. if the congregation will not allow anyone new to serve as an elder, then that's a real sign that either there aren't any new people there or the people who are there and are new are seen as like second-class probationary members, which I think is a real sign of a lack of vitality or this idea that, you know, the only people who can lead here are people who have been here for a long time means essentially what we're communicating is nobody has any gifts or any wisdom outside of this community. So whatever you've done elsewhere doesn't count in this space. And so I think, um, so even though in, if you're serving as a leader for the first time, you would be ordained to this role and installed. But if you've served in the past, then you're just installed. And so if you are only installing people and never ordaining people, then that is a sign that something, you know, there's a breakdown mm-hmm. somewhere um, either of culture or just that your congregation isn't, isn't reaching people and integrating them into the life of your community. And that's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I think... That's really, really, really and,
1: good. And we've chosen three spiritually mature people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So often, congregations look for...
0: Stakeholders.
1: Yes, and who are the professional people, or, mm-hmm. or simply warm bodies to fill mm-hmm. spots, right? Mm-hmm. But we took our time and uh, sought God and we have three spiritually mature people who are coming to serve.
0: Yeah, and I think I mean, we you and I our our deep desire is that our congregations would be disciple-making congregations. Mm-hmm. So it's our mm-hmm. our hope and and I still feel like grove that we're we've not really achieved that mm-hmm. yet. Um but we we hope to be a congregation where people can discover who Jesus is and grow into maturity in our spaces. Um, that's the goal. Not that people would leave other spaces and come into our space. That's not. Um, and yet, uh, you know, for from the beginning, we have known that that within our community was not everything we needed in order to fulfill the mission that God had us on. And so we've been praying for years that you know, God would send laborers because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so just saying, you know, God send others into our midst who who can equip us and help us and fill in gaps and bring wisdom that we don't have and gifts that we haven't nurtured so that this community can be ready to receive people who are who are really vulnerable in their seeking. And so I think when that when that happens when you have new people who are coming in who really are mature and that maturing has happened in other places to me that's such an answer to prayer and mm-hmm. one of the things that I want for the grove I mean, I don't ever want anyone to leave the Grove, ever. Let me be clear. In my flesh, everybody stays forever. Musical chairs is ended. You can come in. It's the Hotel California.
1: You can check in, but you you can 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 never leave.
0: That's not true. People can leave. People have to leave. People have seasons. But part of my hope is that, um, you know, people who leave the Grove, that God will send them out into other places, that they would be the answer to other churches' prayers, right? That there be cross-pollination going on. So anyway, I just think that's a really, really good sign. Yeah. Not only that those people are there, but that the current leaders and membership of your congregation can see them yeah. and can recognize them as gifted. That's that's really, really big deal. So, um, Well,
1: two more things about um, our elders. Number one, uh, I have been giving them this uh, particular scripture from the New Testament that says elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Mm-hmm. And during our you know, period of training and uh, orientation for these new elders, I just kept telling them that I I honor them I, because what they are stepping into is important. Mm-hmm. I, I see them. I see their willingness to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a big deal in my eyes. And in, in some of our congregations, maybe even many of our congregations, there's this kind of clergy, elder um, yeah, tension. tension. Yeah, power struggle is probably a better way to put it. And so I want these elders to know that um, I really do honor them, mm-hmm. honor their service, and I'm grateful for them. Mm-hmm. The The other thing is that I, I tell elders who are rotating off of the board mm-hmm. When they speak to their time uh, on the board to the congregation, think gratitude. Mm-hmm. Don't um, you know? Sometimes because c- the work is hard, mm-hmm. it's really hard, mm-hmm. and there can be this sense of whew, I'm glad I don't have to go to those meetings anymore. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. I'm not doing that yeah. work. Yeah. And it can come across as you know, you know, I just got back from a tour of duty in Afghanistan. And you yeah. lose the sense of, it was my privilege. And my to honor. Serve. We, I got yeah. to do that. And mm-hmm. right.
0: Um, no, and we do. And I think sometimes, I, I think there's a there's a problem in our culture in general, and it's showing up in our churches that we don't, we need to really prioritize sincere speech. Mm. Like we joke all the time and that's fine. I'm pro levity and I am pro joy, but there are times when we, we would make a joke I mean, because when people joke about it being so hard and people joke about being glad that they're done, I mean, they are joking. They're not legitimately saying, this is the most horrible thing ever. I, I mean, maybe they are, but I, usually they're just joking. They're making a joke. Mm-hmm. And that joke is illuminating the truth that it's a big time commitment and that it's a big ask. And, and there's nothing wrong with communicating that truth and communicating it in a playful, lighthearted way. The, the problem is when that's all you say. Right yes. so all yes. you say is this kind of joking complaint about how awful it was and how glad you are that you're done and then what you don't bother to articulate maybe because you've not even trained yourself to see it is you know the the really holy sacred moments and and privileges that you received because you stepped up to serve. And if we as leaders in the congregation create a culture and a language around service as if it's just all drain and all pain and no gain, and then we look around and go, Uncle only 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. It's because the vision you're casting and the messaging you're giving is, this is awful. And so people are like, cool, not going to do it. That's right. And so I just, I mean, it is really okay to tell the truth about the commitment required, but I just think it's bad. And I mean, and I see this, um, I mean, I see it in my family and I see it at the Grove. When we think that the good things are so obvious that they go unsaid, and then the only things we do say are the things that we're teasing, you know, kind of the downsides, you know, like when that's a problem because then the only thing we're saying is what's hard and what's wrong and what's good and what's life-giving goes unspoken, which means it can go un unnoticed. And like, I feel like scripture has some things to say about the power of our words. And I, you know, I don't like it when people say things like, you know, they talk about being afraid of whatever getting sick and then people are saying like don't don't call that into being that's not it's not your words aren't (laughs) magic that's not how it works you don't have that kind of power i need you to take a biology class but your words do shape culture and they do shape your reality and so if all you do is complain about your kids then your kids are going to think, especially Mm. because the enemy is crafty, your kids are going to think that's what's wrong with them is the only thing that's true. And when we only say what's hard and what's bad, then that becomes the whole space we're living in. doesn't mean that we shouldn't say what's hard and what's wrong. We should. But we also should just be speaking life. And it's just harder to speak sincerely. And we tend to mock people speak earnestly and sincerely especially in a political season and the Mm. world at large would rather people be cool than be good (laughs) and i mean whatever but in the church we're not shooting for cool we're shooting for image of image of jesus Mm -hmm. um so anyway
1: so i remember a couple years ago it may have been more than a couple maybe four or five Folks at the Grove, you guys did uh, some kind of gratitude project mm-hmm. and you had a board or something yeah. and it was this display. And I remember hearing you talk about that. It's a, It was a very simple thing, yet a yeah. very powerful, transformative thing, just focusing on gratitude. I think you did well, it for a season. It
0: was the season of Lent. It was the first year after our transformation, mm. so it was hard. And we were just changing our worship culture and one of the few songs that we were learning to sing was 10,000 Reasons. Mm-hmm. And so for the season of Lent, we had 10,000, I forget what we call it, but like 10,000 thank yous or 10,000, you know, gratitude. And we were trying as a congregation to thank God 10,000 times. I, but it was really interesting. And we—and I was really um, influenced and still am influenced um, by Anne Voskamp's book, Thousand and One Gifts. And she just talks about, you know, gratitude, the heart of gratitude and thanking God in walking with God and like the connection between, you know, the Eucharist, the, the root of Eucharist is gratitude. And Jesus, even in that moment facing his own death, gives thanks to God. And so, how our orientation and walking through life is gratitude and how that changes us. And I think sometimes we Sophisticated Presbyterians tend to like poo-poo and look down on anything that sort of smells like pop psychology. But the reality is, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Like naming what is good is powerful. Um, And that does not mean I want a congregation full of Pollyannas who say everything is fine. No, everything is not fine. But some things are good and they deserve to be named and honored because people grow weary without encouragement. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really, really wise that you tell your, your folks that. And I think to create a leadership culture around vulnerability um, in terms of, you know, giving a testimony and saying, you know, this is how, this isn't, this isn't my resume of good things I've done for God. This is my resume of the way that the Lord brought life into death is, I mean, that's, that's the heart of our community, not what we do for God, but a community of people who gather together to seek the Lord and to follow Jesus and to base their lives on the promises that only God can keep. That's, that's powerful. And that's, I mean, that just is a huge shift for, for so many of our communities. And I think, you know, one of the things um, that is helpful is just to remember building culture, Redeeming culture, creating, recreating culture just takes a long time. It takes a long time. It takes a long yes. time. And programming is part of that. And programs are can be quick, relatively. But but creating culture takes a long time. And so we can't grow weary of doing that work. It's just the right work to do. So I think that's really good.
1: So what's astonishing?
0: Um, so we Pastor are- Kate. <laughs> Some of the kids at the church call me um, Pastor Cake, which I love. <laughs> I love it. That's, That's right. so great. Pastor Cake. Pastor Cake. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, we are going to have some new members join the church on Sunday. And um, I will never I will never stop being astonished at people um, who come alongside and say, you know, I see what's happening here. I believe in what the Lord is doing here, and I want to be a part of it. And um, membership is such a tricky thing, um, especially for us, because there's, there is very little um, that you cannot do at the Grove. Um, you know, a lot of churches will say, well, until you, you can't be, a, you know, you can't teach unless you're a member or you can't be on the platform unless you're a member or you can't, and, and you can't lead a ministry or participate. in mean, none of that is true for us. Um, there's very little you can't do with the grove. Um, you, you know, you don't have to be a member. And so then that creates this new then question of, well, if I can still you know, lead and give and uh, you know, what and participate, then why? then why do I need to be a member? And that's a, you know, that's a really interesting question. and and for a long time, I've really railed against like wh- why I'm frustrated with myself, that I can't articulate, I mean, I, who always have something to say, what? really struggle um, with just all the language around inviting people into membership and trying to communicate to people that they are welcome and that they would be received with great joy and honor and also that it's a it's a may, not a must and that it you know there's just a lot of really human um, reasons why people can't or won't make that connection. and so, and you know, and now as I'm, as I'm getting closer, I feel like you know there's probably something really, um, just true about the ineffable ineffableness of, um, what it means to be a member of the community. Because, you know, obviously you you are a member of of Christ, a member of the body of Christ, without being a member of the Grove, right? And yeah. um, because people don't have to, that makes it all the more powerful when people choose to, um, do that, um, in spite of, you know, in spite of the limits and in spite of the questions and, you know, and and we, um, anyway, so I, I mean, I will frankly admit that I, I still wonder often as I wonder about just about everything at the Grove, if I'm, if I'm doing it right or someday, you know, somebody's gonna walk in the door and be like. God, ah, this is all wrong. <laughs> um, and you know there's these questions that you know some people think like well the, the threshold is too low to be a member. Um, so it doesn't mean anything because you don't make people jump through more hoops to do this or you don't make more privileges come with membership. But I mean yeah. I think if membership in the church is really um, one way of understanding membership of the in the body of Christ, then yeah, it doesn't come with privileges. Um, it comes with uh, with the joy of responsibility, right? Um, because Jesus doesn't sell or um, hoard the love and salvation that he gives to us. Yeah, there That's are the economy number, of God.
1: Yeah, there are a number of churches that are moving away from the language of membership to the language of partnership. And I, yeah. I think that's around the word... Um, Koinonia um, Fellowship and, and there's there, there's some places where Paul talks about our yeah. partnering together and so but I hear you um, you're saying that membership whatever you're calling it at the Grove it's it's just not about the institution right yeah. it there, there if you are so moved to become a member of the Grove it really is a heart um, motivation that you just can't make happen and you're not putting any hoops um, before people. You're not dangling any carrots in front of people. And so anyone who says, I want to be a member of this, clearly it they are motivated from for some great internal reason to well, be a part I mean, of the I, community.
0: I don't know. I mean, I like the language of membership because I think that it, it does... I mean, partnership makes to me has too much of the connotation that like we're doing something like let's partner in what we're doing and Mm -hmm. membership I think is more um, passive. (laughs) You know, like we're becoming members of what you think the other way.
1: Well, when I hear membership, I think, sam's club and costco right i'm a member i I think more consumerism yeah
0: i i mean i don't know but i mean the the reality is it's just hard to articulate and and part of the reason that there's just everything around this is so hard um is because it's just and it's it's related to what we were saying about building culture it's just it's about trust i mean it's amazing and particularly because we are trying to do this work of um building healthy multi-ethnic communities it takes a long time for people to trust institutions in general, churches in particular. You know, if a person of color is coming into this community and, and it is led, I mean, pastored by a white person, it just takes a long Very time. Very first question
1: is this place safe
0: is this place safe for me and is this place for real and is this a scam and you know so I really I really get that and then when people do say I see what's happening here and I I I want to be a part of it and it's the sign that this trust which you can't earn mm-hmm. um, and which you don't deserve but that the spirit is put there it's just so precious um, and it's so encouraging and it's so um, poignant to me because you know because we we we're humans and so even when we try very sincerely it's really difficult for us to keep trust with one another and I'm not saying like you know I'm it's not hard to not steal money it's not hard to not you know violate someone else's marriage vows or your own like I'm not talking about those egregious um breaking of trust which i don't want to act like are inevitable they're not inevitable people need to do better but it you know there are smaller cuts that really we wound each other um and because we're broken and we're bruised and we have an enemy and and so you know you walk into this um beginning and sort of you know we have a time of sharing and a time of meeting and it's not about do you understand? And But it's about, you know, who are you and who am I and we're in this together and and actually um, one of the things that we always say is, hey, um, this is a beautiful day and it's a joy-filled day and it's a good day that we're beginning something by making these vows, right? I mean, members, new members stand up front and say, I'm, I'm making these promises um, to be a part of this community um, and also um, let's promise that when the time comes to part, um, and it will, mm-hmm. when the time when our seasons here are over, let's let's make a commitment to um, to end things honorably as well. So whether that's you're moving away or something has happened and you just no longer feel like God is calling you to be part of this community, since we began this relationship with intentionality, um, let let's end it as well and that's not to say that the church would ever go out and find someone and say you need to get out that's not what i mean but i mean if someone is in the congregation and is just like i don't this isn't my home anymore i, I for whatever reason just just don't yeah. don't ghost like just yeah. come and say you know what i this this and this is true and i'm gonna Take a break, or I'm going to go over there, or I just want to be honest. And and we would covenant back to say, you know, we we will let you determine what that conversation looks like. So if you want to tell us things, that's fine. If you don't want to tell us things, we don't have a right hmm. to your, you know, to your pain or to your story. Um, if you want to enter into some sort of process to see if we can heal the relationship, that would be great. If you don't. We, we will accept and honor that, but let's just covenant to tell each other the truth and trust that the Holy Spirit can bring something good and worthy out of that. So so what are you thinking about?
1: Well, a few moments ago, you mentioned how long it takes to change the culture of any institution, but right. especially the church. And we are wrestling with changing worship and there is this hunger that is emerging in the congregation it's really beautiful I think it is a Holy Spirit thing it's driven by the Spirit this hunger but our first impulse is to respond to this hunger for more in worship with tweaking the service, right? Let's mm-hmm. change the order of service. Let's um, let's change the bulletin even. Let's um, let's just tweak it. And and we were talking about this last night in our our elders uh, meeting. I just kept saying to them, "This is deeper than tweaking worship. This is about. This is about focusing on Jesus. This." The issue for us in worship really connects with uh, the text I'm preaching this week, which is um, uh, the 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 parable of the treasure in the field. The man yeah. finds his treasure and sells everything to buy the field so that he can get the treasure. And then someone's searching for um, uh, a treasure and then finds this great pearl and sells everything to get the pearl. And I'm just reminded that we're we're doing everything to try to change worship, and what is necessary, I think is right in front of us, and that is the the honoring, the adoring, the loving on Jesus, that that should be our our response to this heart hunger in worship, because if we want if we want more of the spirit, it's focusing on Jesus. If we want more um I don't know, a sense of God's presence. Well, it's about focusing on Jesus.
0: Yeah, but I mean, and you and I rarely you rarely you and I rarely disagree but when we do Oh <laughs> it's boy I right, well, But I mean I don't I you're right obviously Well and, not if you disagree with no, me No 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 but I mean I definitely think it's I can imagine sitting being an elder sitting in that meeting and just feeling incredibly discouraged and frustrated because hearing if if we're saying like something needs to change in worship, and so as as a leader in the community, I'm saying like okay, well, can we try this, and can we try this, and can we try this, and then what I hear back from you is like none of those changes will make any difference. It has to be this big, huge thing. Well, I mean, okay. no, 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 just hear okay. me. I, okay, okay, that's
1: not what I'm saying, but okay. But I mean, I, I, but I yes. you could
0: hear it that way. Absolutely. And I, and I maybe over identify because often as a as a main Christian, as someone who's come up in the mainline church primarily, when we talk about worship and I find myself in conversations with folks who have been more formed by the charismatic tradition, Mm -hmm. often what I experience in them speaking to me, even if this isn't their intention, the impact is just, you don't have it. Like whatever it is, you don't have it. And so whatever Mm -hmm. you're trying to do, like it's just never going to happen because you're not me. Yeah. And it's very it's really hard when I'm like, look, I whatever it is, like if I could just go buy it in the store, like I like telling me that I just don't have the heart to do the thing that's must be done essentially yeah. is not helpful. So I yeah. I mean, I guess And you know,
1: I'm saying to people, I think you already have it.
0: Well, right, but you... I think people can't discover that. Like, for example,
1: mm-hmm.
0: if if you F in the wizard of oz
1: oh, right this, this is gonna be good this right This is gonna be really good okay
0: I mean, like linda didn't cool. show up and is like hey idiot the shoes are on your feet <laughs> click them together three times and you'll go home right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she goes off on this huge quest mm-hmm. to do stuff that's like essentially useless in terms of accomplishing what she needs but in that process she discovers that the answer was with her all along, right? Like, I mean, I just think the reality is sometimes the only way that you know that tweaking it doesn't work is to tweak it and it doesn't work, right? That's how you discover it. And I just remember, I mean, when we were in the process of changing worship at the Grove, um, it was really hard for me personally, because I just felt like all anybody ever did was come up and tell me, what was wrong with worship. Right. So mm. people who came up in a more traditional ways, like obviously lots was wrong with worship for them. Sure. But people who had come up in more expressive You know, in in other, they would all come up and just be like, but also you're, you know, everyone was just telling me that worship sucked. And I remember just being like, well, what do you want from me? Like, all I can do is keep worshiping the best way I know how until God shows me a better way to worship. And I refuse to feel ashamed or embarrassed for doing worship, quote, badly, because. If bad worship is all I can sincerely do as I'm striving to learn to do better, like this is just the process. We're not going to get great until we go through bad and okay and good and, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just, I just feel like. I I, clearly this touches a nerve with me. I mean, (laughs) because I I get it when you are coming out of a tradition where you've been told this is how worship is. Mm -hmm. And now you're at an impasse where you're like, okay, this isn't, this isn't connecting with my neighbors anymore. This isn't helping me be the church in the neighborhood that God is calling us to be. And so I'm ready, like I'm ready to make changes, but also, I don't know how to do it yet and and if I'm willing to be vulnerable. So I'm I'm willing to change. Like I'm not saying it has to stay and mm-hmm. if it was good enough for Jesus 50 years ago it's good you know that that's not yeah. okay. But if I'm saying like okay, I'm going to stumble forward and make baby steps and changes and until I can make bigger steps and changes then I don't know like I don't think that God despises that. And I just I feel for people when on the one hand like yes, obviously that is true, that all, that what we need is what is in us all along, right? What we need is just, you know, to take the big leap and to sell all our treasure traditions so that we, I mean, I yes. But and that doesn't
1: happen until you see the treasure.
0: Sure, but I'm just saying, like, if you don't see the treasure, you don't see it. And so somebody telling you, like, hey, you, you don't get anything, that's just not...
1: Well No, part of the parable is... A man was searching. He was searching for treasure. And I'm not saying don't tweak. I'm not saying don't try new things. I'm simply, well, more than simply, I'm saying heads up. It's about more than the tweaking. Tweak away. Try new things. Hooray, hooray, hooray for trying new things. I I celebrate trying new things. But I know that it's 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 more than style. It's more than song selection. It's more than the order of worship. Do those things matter? Absolutely. But the at the heart of it is, how are we adoring Jesus? I, th- I and mean, I think that's hard for a traditional Presbyterian it is. culture. It is
0: really hard. Which is, I don't think that we. I think we have to say that. Mm -hmm. But I also think we have to say it in such a way that people just don't feel like, okay, I just need to leave, right? I mean, like, I don't, I just don't want people thinking like, okay, what I'm hearing that they're just like, yeah, yeah, that what they're being told is like, basically every experience of of God that you've ever had in your life has been illegitimate, and you don't know Jesus, and you don't really love Jesus, and guess what, Jesus probably doesn't love you, and there's just no point. No, no, no. And I, I mean, I just think that we need to be aware of the fact that like sometimes. I mean, as we say a lot, like we have an enemy. And so sometimes people hear things that we're not saying. And Mm -hmm. so it's really hard to be able to say to people that this is... I mean, it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ways that people become... I mean, the, the man was searching for the treasure because he was desperate. And so sometimes we need to get to that point of desperation before we seek anything, right? And sometimes the way we get to that point of desperation is to be uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. part of that uncomfortability is when, uncomfortability, that's not even a word, but part of that is when people tell us the truth and you have this moment of like, oh my gosh, what if everything I ever thought I knew was, if not a lie, then just a shadow of the truth. And that's a, that's a part of the growth process. So I'm not saying that we need to center people's comfort, but I also think we need to let people know that, you know, nobody's an expert and nobody is on this journey because they're worthy. And, and you, there are, you know, different wirings and different experiences. And just because God is going to lead you to something new doesn't mean that God wasn't with you where you were before. Right. And so it's just, I just think it's really important to make sure that people know that you might feel discouraged and overwhelmed right now, but I just want to celebrate the fact that you're sitting here with this discouragement mm-hmm. is an act of courage Absolutely. and an act of vulnerability. And that I just think it's so easy, especially because we live in a culture which says if you can't be excellent, go home, right? Like you've got kids dropping out of like dance or art or softball when they're nine years old because they didn't get picked for the travel team. They didn't get number one. And they're like, well, if you're not number one, Go do something else you can be number one at. And so to say, hey, you know what's not a competition? Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so wherever your church is right now, if you are sincerely taking your next right step of faith, that is as beautiful in God's eyes as the church around the corner that or meter you might be being more faithful than that church around the corner that looks like it's got all its ish together and is first you know featured in worship magazine I and mean, you know like that there's glory not in what it looks like but in what it is and we have to be able to name that for people i mean what there's nothing more that the enemy would love than for all of these small churches to go well we, we can't suck. do the laser right. light show. We, so, we, right, yeah. or like, yeah. you know, multi-ethnic churches aren't possible, so we should just go join the, you know, just cast in our lots with the same church up the street and let's do the thing that seems reasonable, do the thing that seems safe, to go like, no, we're going to do this thing and it is hard and we are going to look stupid and there's a great chance we might fail, but we are going to do it because we just believe that this is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And I am not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when it calls and compels me to do things that the world won't understand and won't celebrate. And so if the Grove Church, Derided Church, you know, whatever church is saying, we know that we are not now who and what God is calling us to be. And we can't just flip a switch and get to where we're going. We have to fumble our way through. And people all the time say, like, worship culture at the Grove is evolving because I don't know what, I mean, A, I don't think there is a model and sorry to the people who are making lots of money by selling and judging. I mean, I, I have a friend who recently got reamed out by a member of the congregation because my friend would read the scripture and pray and begin the sermon. And this expert in the congregation came and reamed my friend um, because after reading the worship, my friend did not say this is the word of the Lord so that the congregation could respond in unison. Thanks be to God.
1: As Presbyterians do.
0: And this member of the congregation, who is an expert in worship by, Mm. that's what this person makes their money at, said, because you don't do this, The Holy Spirit is not in the preaching moment. You are doing worship wrong, because this exchange between pastor and congregation is missing. Right? Because the worldview of this member of the congregation is there is a right way to do worship, and anything and anything that's not in that box is just wrong. And that is not unique to mainline churches. You will see the same thing. And I mean, different, it'll, you know, the the thing that is noticed and lifted up as essential will be different, but you'll, they're just gatekeepers, people who just feel really entitled to decide for God what acceptable worship is. And, you know, I was at a conference once years and years ago with Roger Nishioka, who was telling a story about people not liking music. And at one point, you know, sort of said to someone that he was interviewing, like, the fact that you don't like this music would be... Um, really a problem um, except that we're not here worshiping you (laughs) so when the person comes and says to the pastor Mm -hmm. everything you're doing is worthless garbage because you didn't put this moment in that would be a very problematic moment if the person Mm -hmm. in the congregation were the intended recipient of worship but because we believe that God is the one that we are truly worshiping what i know is that even our mistakes when they are sincerely intended you know to reach for the prize even our mistakes and our failures honor god mm. because what we are showing to god is that our hearts want to please want to please him and so you know the external formula what it looks like the excellence of the worship or the you know whatever we look at and go, well, that's a sign the Holy Spirit is in the room. I mean, maybe, maybe, but also we know that just as mainline worship can be performative, charismatic worship can be performative. So what matters is the state of people's hearts. And that is often not something that we can discern from the outside looking. And that's
1: my point that, that you just made my point that tweaking, changing, that's, that's okay. But at the end of the day, it's about a focus on Jesus.
0: But this is the thing. If your heart focuses to please the Lord and all you know how to do is make a tweak, then that tweak is part of the journey. And of course, you're right. If your heart hunger is not for God, then all the tweaks of the world won't won't matter. And so that's what I'm trying to say is it's both and not either or. And I'm just worried that sometimes people will hear you say, no tweaking, it's a heart thing. And then go like, well, you know, all I have to give with my heart is a tweak. And so it has yeah. to be, yeah, if all you can do is fumble in the right direction mm-hmm. with a heart that is trying to love God as best you can. And, you know, a lot of times you have to pray your version of the, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Which is like, I love you, Lord, and I want to love you, Lord, and help me in the parts where I don't love you, or I'm reaching for this and also I'm scared of this. And you're just going to have to show up and fill in the gaps because I'm not God. And so I think... You know, I just think, especially for churches like ours, where you can't drop $10,000 on a consultant, you can't go hire the expert to come in, you don't have this, maybe the power, all you can do is the little thing you can do in the hope that it'll be a mustard seed of transformation. And that little thing, if it's in search of the pearl, is enough.
1: I agree, I totally agree, I totally agree. and I, I guess what I, I didn't include in you know my introduction of this was, if I'm correct, and I, I could be wrong about this, if I'm correct, part of the the energy behind tweaking is my having conversations with people mm-hmm. about the need to shift our worship culture mm-hmm. and saying to them, I can't, I can't do this in my own strength or power. This is not a pastor, um, this is not a a pastor power that I have. I have no wand to wave over the congregation and say, "And now we will be a different kind of worshiping community." This is something that we emphasis on the word "we" have to wrestle with in the spirit, and I, I think that's what we're doing. But I also want to say to them, um, tweak yes focus on Jesus. Yes, yes, yes.
0: I mean, I just think that it's hard to believe that what we can do is enough. And it's just easy to think, well, we're too far gone. We, we we've missed too much. We're too, you know, and it's just important. No, I
1: I I think at least in our community the mindset is that there's some secret sauce, some secret formula, some um uh, some uh, book or pre-packaged program that we just haven't discovered yet. And if we can put our hands on that, then we can do the thing. And um, we both know that's not true. Mm-hmm. And so in the fumbling along, yes, I celebrate that. But I think I'm trying to uh, keep our community from fumbling in vain
0: it's so funny a couple years ago i was doing a women's retreat and oftentimes when i'm invited to in any capacity to interact with another church they'll they'll ask me to tell the story of transformation at the grove which i mean takes a while to unpack which i'm happy happy to do um and so i was telling the story um to this group it was a women's group and at the end of it i mean you could just see like the energy in the room was just like getting smaller and smaller. Oh, small. Smaller? I, I thought you was. Absolutely. greater. And no, no, greater. no. I mean because people were you could just hear them saying like I mean I do I don't want this to happen at my church, right? Like surely, like surely there's another way. And um at the end of it two women raised their hands and the and the one woman said um, this just sounds so Baptist. (laughs) So that was really interesting. And the other woman was like, isn't there like, like a program or a class or something that the denomination, and I just thought it was really interesting. I mean, this was a Presbyterian group and it was really interesting. The instinct of like all of this sort of vulnerability and trusting God and, you know, really like setting everything aside and going for it. To to a lot of people, that reads Baptist. And then the other side is like, okay, but like, just give me a program. Like, just give me 19 steps that I know if I start at one and keep working all the way to 19, I'll get there. And the reality of saying, like, this journey of transformation is messy and it's vulnerable and that's not because we're doing it wrong that's because that's, that's the how process. that's how, and that's how, that's what following god is following god is about saying i am not in charge and i am dependent on god doing things um, that are absolutely essential and i'm not in control of if or when god does them for me and oh by the way god doesn't owe me anything right i mean god i i have i've given my life to jesus And Jesus has promised me forgiveness and eternal life. And so, you know, beyond those things, if I read the gospel well, I don't have, um, an expectation of perfect health or a successful marriage or you know a business that i mean none of failure is an option for us because we understand that the current world is passing away and we are salt and light bearing bearing witness to another transcendent truth and so some of the things that seem so essential in the in the world that is passing away for us are just not we're not guaranteed those things we are guaranteed what is of far surpassing value. I mean, these are the things that in your parable the dude sold so we could get the pearl in the field. And sure. we've got the pearl in the field. We don't get everything else and the pearl in the field. If you want everything else, like take your inheritance and go seek it. See, see where that gets you. So anyway, we've gone far afield. This is a long podcast. It's normal time. <laughs> that might be a problem. <laughs> but, um, so
1: what are you preaching? I gonna gonna say, since
0: you didn't ask, let me tell you. <laughs> preaching? I I haven't even told you what I'm thinking.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Well, we need to cut this part off. It's awkward. You've no, got to go stop ahead. telling me
0: that you can edit things because it's just giving me way too much um, comfort. No, well, I just, know this is totally staying in, but go oh, ahead. Gosh, stop. Um, no, I just thought... I've been thinking about... Um, public health. I've been thinking mm-hmm. about COVID-19 mainly just, um, and I'll make this brief. Um, I've been thinking about how much I've been thinking about it. Um, and I've been resentful. And we were saying earlier that I just resent the amount of mental energy that not the actual um, you know, virus, but the but people's response to the virus and trying to figure out what is what is hysteria and what is common sense and the way that one's response is being politicized almost as part of the culture war and trying to figure out what does it look like to be um, faithful and a responsible leader, shepherd in this moment. Um, and what is interesting for me is that before I was before I studied like the theology, I studied biology, and public health. And so I do feel like there are just things that I think I understand about this because of what I studied, you know, twenty years ago in college. And um, and so I I understand that there are there's a place for public health and there's a place for taking certain um, preventative measures that if you do them and they work they seem like they were a waste right so if you if you shelter people if you do press practice social distancing if you shut down schools if you do whatever then and it works then the virus doesn't become a problem and then you know, it becomes a victim of its own success. People go, well, why did you do that? The economy took a hit. You know, Mm -hmm. this, are my kids wasted school. That was so dumb. Nothing even happened. And like, well, yes, it's like when you get vaccinated against measles and you don't get the measles, then you go, well, that was stupid. I didn't even need that vaccine because I didn't get the measles. Right. And so I do, I'm trying to figure out as a person that I think, you know, has been prepared I mean, I think that my my science background is part of the preparation that God has given me in lots of ways to do the work that I do. Um, Whereas I'm the last person, and it's a joke, like I will never cancel church for snow Mm because I'll say, I know how to drive in the snow. And so if you can safely come, please come. And if you can't stay at home, that's fine. But to me, this potentially is different. Like I can see a time where... If the virus begins to be more prevalent in our community, I do think that the loving thing is to, I mean, not that the Grove is such a large gathering, but is to say, hey, let's practice some social distancing because there are people in my community who are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like if I got it, it probably wouldn't be a big deal, but there are people I love for whom that could potentially be, you know, very traumatic, if not faithful. And it's not loving to those people to to ignore that. And so just trying to figure out when, if that moment comes, and then if until that moment comes that I don't want to shame people. But, you know, this Sunday, like, I didn't stand in a receiving line as I often do after church. Like, I just went into the fellowship hall. And part of that is I don't feel like people should feel pressure to shake my hand Mm -hmm. if what they're concerned about is... I mean that's fair. That's not absolutely being hysterical. That's not panicking. That's just saying, hey, there's a new illness going around. I don't know how it might affect other people. Even if I think it won't affect me, I don't want to just presume it won't affect a person who's in contact with a person that I make contact with, right? So, but I do think that because we don't, because there's been a huge, um, I think there's a huge lack of trust, and this precedes the current presidential administration there are very few institutions that everyone in our society trusts now Mm. and so when you go to look to say okay what is actually a reasonable response to this you find different institutions giving conflicting advice and then different sets of the population in like identifying with different sets of advice and then all of a sudden how we respond to this becomes an identity marker instead of just you know a, a just a response to reality and so i mean i think this is a really important moment i think as a community of faith it's really important to say we're not afraid of anything um and part of what we want to do is bless and serve and protect vulnerable people. And so what is that going to look like? And so this past week, it looked like saying to people, hey, as we pass the peace, which we do really well, which, you know, the introverts in my congregation hate, but it's really important. Um, and and practicing healthy touch is really important um, to say, hey, this week, let's, you know, let's flash the peace sign or let, you know, and, That's kind of silly, but also, and people had a hard time with that, but to say it's not, I'm not afraid of getting sick, but I don't want someone who really wouldn't be okay to get sick because we were cavalier about a risk. Um, We're having a community meal on Sunday, or not on Sunday, on Thursday, and so I'm really, you know, I'm just kind of interested, and I do not think that we're at the place where we can't come together and share a meal, but... I think it's possible that that might make sense in the future. It might. And we were saying on the like after we ran this morning that part of the mental energies is just like seeing a slow moving mm-hmm. snowstorm mm-hmm. coming at us and kind of constantly having to think about, well, I'm planning for this, three weeks out, four weeks out, because hello, Easter. You know, and it's hard, you know, part of your mind is like, well, maybe this won't even happen. And I know the reality is, our job is to continue to do what we are called to do with love and faithfulness for as long as we have the privilege of doing it and not to speculate about any kind of future where we might have to take a break from that but anyway so it's just hard and trying to figure out how to be um, how to be loving in the midst of this how to be loving and how not to, how to um, and how not to mock or judge people for the way that they, um, respond to what's really confusing.
1: Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last night at our elders meeting, and what we uh, want to do is to respond to the anxiety of the congregation, to say, we, we hear you,
0: mm-hmm. we
1: recognize that you're anxious, and so we want to give you, um, um, we want to let you know that we care about this as well, mm-hmm. and so we've decided um, as a leadership team to um, when it comes to communion every month that we're not going to do intinction for a good Mm -hmm. while where you tear the bread and dip it in the cup and, and then eat, but do the individual cups and um, pre-cut pieces of bread um, because someone brought it up. Are are we going to still practice communion by intinction? If so, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about that. And so we, we, want want to respond to that also we're gonna say to people hey we are a family that loves each other and it's just it's so natural for us to hug each other and shake hands and it's okay if we don't do that for a while Mm -hmm. It, it it really is okay and and just to just to ease that tension, and we're also going to put like you know a hand sanitizer station as you come into the sanctuary. And I think we're uh, we're going to create a sign that says um, uh, we're going to quote uh, the psalm that says, um, "Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands, right?" <laughs> just <laughs> we just want yeah. to laugh about this a little bit, uh, but really we're we're just simply trying to say this to our congregation. We see the anxiety. We hear your anxiety. We care about you. Uh, we're not afraid. We're not but, afraid, but, but,
0: but we are gonna. It's not loving to mm-hmm. put people who are vulnerable at greater risk. That's and we not. We have a
1: lot of people over seventy.
0: Well, and I just think it's it's sort of analogous to, and and people don't understand this, but like if your child has a life threatening allergy to peanuts, and the person next to them yes. is like, "Well, I'm still bringing a peanut butter sandwich. It's fine." I mean, okay, that's fine, that's your right, but it's not loving. Yeah. And so to say if there are people in our congregation who are saying, right now I, I don't feel comfortable coming, well I I understand and we love you and we affirm you, and these are the ways that you can connect with us virtually. If there are people saying, I can be here, but I don't want to touch anybody for whatever reason i'm not going to we're not going to mock we're not going to guilt we're not going to shame and actually we're going to try to create some practices so that people do feel comfortable showing up even though if it can feel a little risky right now um because it is important to gather in community together as long as we can but the bottom line is however we respond to this people need to to know that they've been seen and heard Absolutely. and loved and there's shame is not a part of a healthy community. So um, so yeah, so that is what I'm thinking about. What are you preaching about?
1: Well, as I've mentioned already, um, Pearl. just three verses from Matthew chapter 13, three verses that contain two parables. Um, mm-hmm. The, the the man who finds a, a treasure in a field and goes and sells everything in order to buy the treasure and then uh, another who is looking actually looking for treasure and finds a pearl and uh, goes and and sells everything and buys the pearl and um, I you know I just started looking at the text yesterday and it's so simple and um I think what I want to do is to just grab a, a stool, sit it in the center aisle, and just talk to the congregation, reflecting on this text about the the centrality of Jesus and how it's so easy for all of us to get um, distracted by all that needs to be done, especially when you have a fairly large campus like we do and. An aging congregation, mm-hmm. you can get lost in the how do we upkeep and the to do mm-hmm. list, and um, and lose sight of this great treasure, and mm-hmm. um, and I'm also aware of of choices that we have to make, right? Mm-hmm. To choose, to choose this treasure. I remember when Han and I were first dating, um, and I. I I don't know if I'm going to say this in the sermon, I might, but uh, this came to mind this morning as I was thinking about the text. When we were first dating, and uh, I think around our third date, I knew this was going to be a thing. I mean, I just knew, like, okay, this is it. Um, but before, Well, we
0: were running then. That's right. I mean, so I, 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 I watched you yes, <laughs> come yes. to this realization.
1: Um, and before I met her, I had built friendships with, um, a lot of, well, quite a lot, quite a few professional single women in the city, you know, a lot of them work for, um, uh, the banks, Bank of America, Wachovia, and, and so I would go out all the time with a, a group of about six or seven women, and, um, and I just had a number of female friends, and, <laughs> And when we really got serious, she's like, you know, you have a lot of female friends and I'm not sure if this is really going to work. And, um, you know, I pushed back on that a little bit and she's like, you know, some of them secretly want to date you. And I'm like, eh, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I don't really think it's true. It's just, yes. So, and she brought it up a couple of times. And so finally I made a list of, of all of my female friends and I said, you because I really wanted to be in a relationship with her. Yeah. And so I said, you tell me the ones that can stay and the ones that can't. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, she's got to go. She can stay. She's got to go. She's... And I called them up. And I said, you know, I've been seeing this woman. And um, I just, I, I just want to let you know, I just don't think we can hang out anymore. And to my surprise, many of them said, I get it. Mm-hmm. If I were her, I'm, I might do the exact same thing. But that, that makes, I, I think that came to mind because of this choice that we make with Jesus, that Jesus is, Jesus is this, we're choosing this treasure and we're willing to leave other things. Not that those things are bad. There's right. no judgment on on the things that... Um, are left behind or sold, but there is this singular focus on Jesus.
0: Well, what I think is interesting about that is she was just telling you, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. And for a while, you were responding in what's a really natural way of saying, like, well, why do you need that? Well, you shouldn't need that. And then finally, you just heard her saying, this is what I need. And you realized, I can feel however I want about whether you should or shouldn't need this. But if you are the person I want to be with and you are telling me this is your need, then your need comes with your you-ness and I got to make a choice. And I think what I what I think is like a really interesting parallel between that and following Jesus is sometimes we are only able to follow Jesus to the limit of our own understanding. Like I'll do anything for you that you ask me to, Jesus, as long as I understand and agree yeah. that it is good and profitable. And, and the reality is, I mean, that's kind of tough because sometimes we could benefit from wisdom that's beyond our understanding if we were able to say, I don't really get why I can't do this and follow you, except that, Jesus, you are you, and I'm me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to take this step of faith and trust because... I want to be in relationship with you. And I mean, and I think that's a dangerous thing because people think like, well, that's how somebody ends up in a, you know, in a jungle drinking red Kool-Aid, but I'm not talking about trusting a human who purports to speak for Jesus. I'm talking about being in relationship with Jesus as mediated by the Holy Spirit, as affirmed by the study of scripture, that there are just things where we are like, eh, I mean, it's clear to me that this is what the tradition calls us to do, but yeah. nobody around me is doing this and it doesn't really seem that's such a big deal, so I'm just not, no, I, I mean, then that's fine, but you're cheating yourself out of the benefit of being able to follow the Lord beyond the limits of your own understanding. And so I... I mean, I think that that's really, I mean, that's just a really hard but yeah. important truth, especially for a congregation seeking transformation. Because if what we say is our understanding is what got us to this point, mm-hmm. and being at this point is no longer our desire. And so we're going to have to follow Jesus beyond our own understanding because our own understanding is never going to get us really to a substantially different place than where we are right now. And that, anyway, the thing I, I, I used to
1: read those parables <laughs> thinking, that was a. It was a kind of one and done, yeah. right? So no. you choose Jesus as the great treasure, the great pearl at the beginning of your Christian life, That's and kind then of after former, that, you do whatever and, you want, and, and you're just kind of done. <laughs> but there is you 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 come back to that over and over, mm-hmm. and you have to keep choosing Jesus as your treasure and your pearl. And there are levels to this, and you know, I like many Christians for a long time of of. Heard those hymns and sung those hymns about, um, you know, I'd rather have Jesus than silver mm-hmm. or gold, and and I get cognitively I get it. I mean, I understand yeah. the hymn, but to have a to have my heart grasp that, I'm not nearly where where I should right, be. Right, but I
0: mean, I think the advantage of a of a song like that is, I mean, what we're doing, I would say is leaning into the wisdom of the greater community, the, the communion of saints. And what we're really doing is speaking in tongues, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we're saying emotionally, like maturely, this isn't where I am. And yet, I mean, that I do think is a healthy way of speaking and claiming something yeah. into existence. Even as we recognize, you know, this is not, this isn't authentically true yet for me, but I recognize it's the truth. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I think that's really what I love about your text segue, awkward segue, <laughs> is that um, the 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 guy seeking it and the guy not seeking it both yes. find the pearl. Yes. And that I think is just so powerful, and we overlook it. And it's one thing that gets us ready when people walk through the door to recognize that they bring a wisdom and a gifting that we are like, what in the world? Like, how do you, because the reality is God is gracious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so when we're seeking, we find. And sometimes when we're not seeking, we find. And whether you're seeking or not, when you find, the question is, will you let go of everything else to grab that pearl? Right? And some of us who are seeking, we find the pearl and we're like, yeah, the cost is too high. And some people who are not seeking find the pearl and go, The cost is too high, but the reality is we don't, we don't find the pearl because of our merit. That's right. Or because of our chosenness. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, I, I, yeah, that text would mess me up. So I'm not preaching it. Don't ask (laughs) me what I'm preaching on. I can't remember whether I'm preaching on greed or fear. So I can't even answer this part of the question. One or the other, maybe probably, probably fear. I don't know. Actually, I think it's greed. It's greed this week and fear next week. Um,
1: Well, you've got a few days to figure it out.
0: And I mean, I've already chosen it. I just, I take Mondays off. And so when we gather to meet, like you're a day into prep and I'm a day behind. So I'm often, I'm often at a loss. So often at a loss. I cover it well. We're done. We're finished. Um, Thank you all for listening. As always, if you want to hear um, Yolanda's messages, you should go to the Podbean website and search for Derida Church Podcast, and you should seek out Derida Church. Look for it on Google, Derida Church in Charlotte, and you will get to their website. And if you want to learn more about what's happening at The Grove, our website is thegrovecharlotte.org. And you can sign up for our newsletter there, which is awesome. Nobody in our congregation reads it, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. And if you want to um, hear some of the sermons at The Grove, you can go to iTunes and search for The Grove Charlotte Podcast. And we are grateful that y'all are listening.